welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. Bam! Welcome, everyone. It is Sunday night. I don't know why I just said bam. I'm feeling pretty fired up, though. It is uh, the... my. It was, this is the end of my first week of school, of like partial week of school. Next week's the first full week of school. But there's a lot to talk about. If you're new here, if you've never been here before, my name is CJ Reynolds. I run this channel, uh, business now called Real Rap with Reynolds. And the whole entire goal of this is to help teachers to find pathways and pipelines to be the teachers they are called to be, right? So all of us had some idea when we started teaching, some dream of what we thought this would look like or be like or what we wanted it, we, what we wanted it to look like or be like. And then oftentimes the dream doesn't match up with reality, but I think we can get there. I really, really do. And so that's why we create all of this content from this Sunday night live feed to the book, to the speaking engagements, the YouTube channel, to all the other stuff that we do. And so the sole per like, focus of this evening is you. You show up, you put your question in the comment section, um, and you're not only going to hear from me. Chances are a ton of other people in the comment section are going to reach out as well. They're going to say something to speak into your into your life, into your situation, share ideas, share thoughts, uh, maybe ask some clarifying questions. But it is all to help you go from like that Sunday nervousness that everyone feels to Monday walking into school, feeling confident, feeling ready, and feeling fired up uh, to get after it. So we are going to jump right into questions because there are questions waiting for me uh, before I even got on here. So um, let's do it. All right. Our first question comes from Stephanie. She's asking, how would you go about submitting a complaint against another teacher who speaks poorly to students and makes you uncomfortable as an adult slash teacher? I asked my Friday group, but wanted CJ's input too. Uh, so what's up, Steph? Um, I would go to human resources because they are you can ask things there in a way in which like it's not going to come back on you necessarily. Uh, so that's that would be my go to. Um, other than that, I mean, like if you wanted to like so maybe that would just be like my first move. And then my second move would be um, my daughter sending me TikToks is, is depending on like you, this is one for you to feel out, but I think this is good in, in advice for anyone. I think our level of success in life is directly predicated um, on our willingness to have difficult conversations. So whether that's your marriage really lasting, whether that's your relationships with your children, whether that's that stuff at work. Um, and I think, the way you kind of navigate that, I think there's different ways, right? So you could go into a conversation and go speak to a teacher that's like talking smack and you can just tell them like, yo, I heard you're saying this stuff, like what's up? Or like, I don't appreciate you saying this. Or you, you could get all fired up or you could enter into it with, um, I, I enter into everything with like a sense of, of wonder. Like, like I'm curious. Um, curious is what I was looking for, not wonder. Um, so when our school makes changes and I ask questions in the meeting, I always go, hey, I'm just curious why we changed this from the old system or why aren't we allowing teachers to do this or why is this a new thing that we have to do? It is so that you're not 
sometimes you know what we what we need to remember is that our language can either fire someone up it can it can calm them down it, it, our words have power and so uh that idea of going in out of curiosity hey listen this is what i'm hearing from students um and i just wanted to come and ask you about it. i'm just like i don't know that it's even true i don't know that this is what you say kids say kids misinterpret things all the time um but i just wanted to make sure that we were good because I think that's what that's going to do. Our united front as teachers helps us to serve our students better, helps us to be better educators, helps us like the kids come and go. We're, we're for for the long haul teachers are. And I think having a conversation like that, although it might be uncomfortable, it also lets people know, bro, you are not going to talk smack on me and then no one's going to know it. But like, like, I'm not going to say something about it. So be mindful going forward that this is what you're going to get. You're going to get my curiosity. You're going to get my intrigue. You're going to get my face-to-face -face conversation if this sort of thing happens. And, you know, the, the last thing I'd say to that, in, in doing that, what you're really doing also, let me move this microphone over. Um, what you're really also doing is people in this world treat us the way we teach them to treat us. So if someone's talking crap on you, uh, if someone is uh, dismissing you in front of people or, or in private or in public, um, if, if you don't like the way someone's acting towards you, it's because you let them know it was okay to do that. Or you haven't let them know yet that it's not okay to do that. So going in, no matter how awkward it is, no matter how much your voice trembles or your body shakes or how weird it feels, you are literally teaching someone this is what happens when you do this. And I'm going to come back and have this question every single time, or we're going to address it every single time. Um, but it's not going to go unsaid. So I think either one of those two things is do is doing that, whether you go to HR or you just go speak to that teacher on your own. Either way, it's going to do that. But that that's where I would start. All right, our next question comes from Wendy. She's uh, Her question is, I homeschool my daughters. Your videos help me a lot as motivation. What would your visions or ideas be for homeschooling? Much love from Belgium. I love Belgium. I love their beer. It's great stuff. Um, that's a great profile picture, and that is a very cute little girl. Um, I think that – so first of all, thank you very much for saying nice things. Like, I, I – the stuff is never lost to me. I really deeply appreciate it. I think, you know, when, when so we homeschool our kids, just uh, trans, being transparent, um, for a whole host of reasons. Not because I ever wanted to no. or wanted to be a teacher. Didn't so. want to be a teacher. Like, that is not... Uh, I still don't. <laughs> doesn't want to be on camera. Doesn't want to be a teacher. Uh, but it's the opposite of, of me. Um, so... Opposites attract. <laughs> I'd say, though, with regards to homeschooling, it's been about, uh, I'll, I'll speak to the camera because she's trying to do seven things at once. Um, it's one about making things relevant. So it's not just looking at a school curriculum and thinking about like, what do you need to be doing? But it's like, how can I make this actually matter to my kids? How can I have a why behind everything that I'm doing? That is something I say all the time, but I can't underscore it enough. So in class the other day, uh, this dude asked me, first day of school, um, I say, we're going to read and write and speak every day. And this kid goes, why do we have to write every day? We already have a composition class. So in our school, English is split into two different classes for your ninth and 10th grade year. It is literature and composition are two separate classes. I said, because composition is teaching you to read, to write for, for technique. 
well, I'm teaching you to write for power. I'm teaching you that in a world where um, we're kids and for me, for, you know, teaching black and brown boys are told speak when spoken to and then are never spoken to. I want you to stand up um, and speak with confidence every time you talk. I want you to be so well versed in what you think, what you believe and how you communicate that I want you to be on fire and for no one to ever get it twisted what you're saying when you speak because you've practiced so much that it is impossible for you to mess up. And when you do mess up, you will have the strength of spirit to be able to pivot and to be able to keep going. That to me is so incredibly important, um, but that's my why behind behind the what that we're doing. Um, I just didn't want you to forget that was back there. I'm not going to over. I think the other thing is the beauty of homeschool is literally the world is your classroom. So if you're going to learn about ecosystems, go to an ecosystem. If you're going to learn about math, go to the dollar, you know, to the store and and do math there. If you want to learn about, you know, um, damn near anything. I mean, like for our kids, because my son really struggles with dyslexia, they read every day, but they use audiobooks every day. But it has built something into my kids that they love, love, love that time every day. And sometimes my wife has to like put a stop to it because they're like, no, we want to like know what's going to happen. So they're reading through the Harry Potter series right now. They're on the second to the last book. And they're Getting good at that, that end of that book. They're really so good. stoked. <laughs> and then that leads to writing prompts. It leads to like, what do you think is going to happen next? You know, our son writes about things like, um, like what's his favorite season of Fortnite and why, but we're not tied to like a lot of the curriculum that typical schools are. So I think it's about looking around and just looking at your life and thinking, what do you wish you knew? And, and what, what do I have to teach them? But like, where can we do it? Can we go to an aquarium, to a zoo, to the beach, to the woods? Like, where can we do that? And I think that that's really fun. Yeah. And not feeling like you have to fill seven to eight hours with stuff. Like no, that's the hardest. No, we do that me. in school for babysitting. We don't do that because it's like, that's what makes you the best student. No one ever looked at a school schedule and said, is this what works best for kids? Cause it doesn't like it works best. We go, our school goes eight to four. You know why? Because mom has to be in work at nine. You need to be able to drop the kid off and then pick them up at the end of my day. So don't feel like you have to fill the whole day with it. What you got buddy? Uh, our next question comes from Liz. Like I get to it. Want me to um, sing? No. It's right here. Liz is asking, what do you say to students who don't see the value in taking your class and are often disrespectful about it? I teach Spanish, so normally they don't see the value to leader. Yeah, uh, I had this conversation with um, a teacher the other day that teaches art. Um, and she was told by another teacher, come on, you just teach art. And she was like, damn, like from the own, from the faculty. Oh, like, yeah. God, it came at me with that that madness. Just art. It is, you know, I think, Liz, one, we're not going to win over every student. Let's just start there, right? Like not every kid is going to love it. The disrespectful piece needs to be addressed, though, because you just can't go around the world disrespecting people. So and, and um, I think with certain students, like it could be the it could be the who you are that, you know, you want to really hone that into. Right. So whether it is if you are some students, like it's often thought in our school that it's easier for, for men to teach. And especially because we teach all black and brown males, there's this stereotype that like black men will do better, but that's just not true all the time. We've had a number of black male teachers and what we have found 
um, is that oftentimes kids project onto those teachers like feelings that they have about, you know, other black males that have played a role in their life that they haven't had a strong relationship with um, that sometimes. So so that's a thing. But like even the fact that like you, uh, if you're a woman, like really knowing that like that the onus is sometimes on is on the teacher community to get students to respect all teachers of all, no matter what they they look like or where they come from or things of that nature um so i that is something that the disrespectful piece is something you could address on your own by building a relationship with that student by seeing where they're coming from and then by just holding the line but i think that that's something that the community at large should be looking at like your teacher community your admin the other teachers grade level chairs things like that those folks should be in conversation about how are we handling disrespectful students um, especially when, then like, especially if a class is really run well, um, because disrespect can come out if a teacher doesn't like have it together. And so I, I would just, that's something I, I think you should take a look at and, and talk to your community about that. Um, with regards to kids that don't find value in your class, like I, I think, look, what I, what I tell kids often is that I love English I love literature. Uh, I, but, and my, my, what I love for everyone to love reading by the time they get out of my class, and I do everything I can to help you love reading. I try and make it engaging. I try to, we try to make things fun. I try to put books in front. I tell my kids the other day, I'll order any book that you want, any book you want that you think is going to be exciting for you to read uh, and will make you actually sit down and look at words for an extended period of time. And like, I'm down, bro. Like I'll get you whatever you want. And that, like I, so I can do anything I want, but there's always still kids that don't believe. I, I think kids don't believe for several reasons. One, they don't realize that, and I, even though I tell them this all the time, I don't care. I don't care that much if you love reading. Would I love it? Yes. Is that my number one thing? No. Reading is just like literature is the vehicle through which I can teach you a million other things. It's just that I like this vehicle best. I like it better than science. I like it better than math. But, but that's a personal preference. It's not a slight to any other subject matter. Um, but for you, it's about really realizing what really is Spanish all about and how does this actually help you benefit going forward? Or how do you take a class that you don't really like and you're going to win anyway? How is this really a, so much more like, it's not just about learning Spanish. It's not just about state standards. It's not just about college. But, like, how is this learning process, right? So, so you're. It, this is one of the times in school that you're learning something, like, new, new. Like, you're not – it's not like math that builds on one another. But, like, maybe you never took a language before. How can we talk about the learning process? And I think that gets really interesting. Um, I would look into Jim Quick. K-W-I-K, he has an Instagram and then he has all kinds of stuff online. But he really talks about this idea of like, how do we learn? We, what, what we don't teach in school that I think is a complete, um, it's a complete missed opportunity and something that's imperative that we should be talking to students about that we don't. Like, I don't know one school that does this. Maybe someone out there is going to say that they do. Uh, and that's awesome. But I don't know one school that talks about how to learn. That talks about, that looks at how does the brain work and how do different students absorb different types of information? How do we help kids to actually absorb what we're talking about, to, to internalize it, and then to use it? We don't do that very often. We just teach 
in a very specific way often. So, um, you know, I had a student one year that was failing Latin. Uh, we, we require our students to take four years of Latin, which doesn't excite really anybody in the whole world. Um, and he was going to fail high school because of it. And so the conversation that I had with that particular student was, you know, like it was kind of looking at your life and figuring out like, what do you want? What do you actually want in your life? And we mapped it out. I, literally, I did one of these like on my desk and I'm so ridiculously neat anal. about my desk. Yeah, I was trying not to. I was no. going to say anal. You <laughs> said, now you're making it weird. Sorry. I cleared everything off my desk, like one of those gigs, like I was in a movie. Um, and then I took a Expo marker, black, of course, and wrote on my desk everything that this student wanted to have in their life, all their dreams, all their ambitions and all of that stuff. We then reverse engineered that to how do you get there? And then what he realized was that Latin was getting in the way of his dreams, of his goals, of the things he wanted to be able to do for his brother and sister, for his mom, for his community, for his church, for his life. And that Latin now was part of a game, right? This was part of the game. And I think sometimes school, sometimes certain subjects, sometimes certain teachers, they become part of this game that are you going to let this class get in the way of your dreams? I don't care if you like it or not. I don't like doing stuff all the time. We hate doing taxes. Taxes, especially when you own a business, it's a pain in the ass all of a sudden. You got to itemize stuff. You got to learn all these things you didn't know about before. I can't stand it. But am I going to let, that, let get, that get in the way of my dreams? Nope. So it's about helping kids maybe figure out another way to look at things so that it's game on and understand that what you're doing is trying to not only get them to love it, but sometimes it's get them to just like make how can we make this engaging enough that you just don't loathe it? Like there's only so many ways for me to make Shakespeare fun, especially Merchant of Venice, not my favorite play. Got to teach it every year. There's only so much lipstick I can put on the pig, right? But I'm trying, right? Can't lead a horse to water, but you can make it really thirsty. I don't know how. I'm thinking you just feed them salt. Maybe if we just fed kids salt. Good luck. I mean, we do. We've seen the school lunches. It's horrifying. Yes, that's so true. All right. Miss Gonzalez is up next and she's asking, how do you handle kids calling each other gay? Like name calling. Oh grade God. six to eight mixed grade classes. Not only calling each other gay, everything's gay all the time. Reynolds, you got another pen. My pen's being gay. Bro, what? What is that? Like, it's kind of like when people used to say retarded. They say it like all the time still. I know, but I feel like retarded was like such a general like used word. Yeah. Like gay would be. Yeah. And I think part of it is just if you were that. to ask kids, like for real, if you were to ask kids, like if they were trying to hurt someone's feelings, like I, like, I don't, I don't think they associate the word with what they're really saying or how that's going to make someone else feel. Right. It, it's like, they're not speaking against something. Um, so like when they're saying something is retarded, they're not trying to like make anyone in the class feel bad, but they're also children. So they're not being mindful of the fact that like, um, I, I have a son with some very serious learning disabilities with, with some very serious learning differences with like, with like, um, that, that, that word, when when said in class, when the word retarded is said in class, it, it hurts my heart, um, literally. Like every time I hear it, I'm like, bro, yo. And, and I'm going to tell you how I deal with that in a second. But there are kids in class that even at the sixth to eighth grade level are questioning their sexuality. They're trying to figure out who they are or, or 
Maybe you have a house with two moms or two dads. And so it is reminding students, the way that I deal with it is to say, listen, let me tell you why we don't say that word. We don't say it. We don't say certain words in class because you're not allowed. We don't say not say them in class because because I said so, or because it's not even, not even because it's not socially acceptable. Right. Um, like I don't say like, you can't go to a job and you're going to be like, uh, Hey, look, yo boss, my cash register is being retarded. I got it. I got to get it fixed. Right. It's not even for that. What I want students to understand is that they have power and that our words have power. And that when we wield that power, we can use it to hurt people or to help people. And so when we use words like gay or retarded or fag or whatever else, right? Like words that are just commonly thrown around in, in schools and in and, and households and things of that nature. We, what we're doing is we are using our power for evil. We're using our power to, to hurt someone. And you can hurt somebody whether you know it or not. It doesn't matter if you knew it, Right. But it is checking kids and helping to hold a mirror up to the things that they're doing and saying and saying, now, you might not be doing this. So that's why we're having you might not know you're doing this. So that's why we're having this conversation. But we need to be thoughtful of the things that we're saying, because what we can also do is empower people. What we can also do is is celebrate people is is um, find ways of lifting one another up. And sometimes unknowingly, we say and do things. The difference is now that you're in the know, what are you going to do about it? Are you still going to be a bully? Like you're big and strong and tough and macho, right? So you can use that to hold people down. You can do that to take someone's lunch money. You can use that to get someone to shut up or to make them give you your homework, their homework so you can cheat off of them. Or what would happen if you shifted that? And you walk down the hallway and you saw that kid that was different than everyone else. And you were just like, yo, what's up, Jason? How are you? Like, what? Like, like that's not going to just blow Jason's mind. They're like, what? You're like, I thought you killed people in your free time. Like, you know, like they, they, that's going to blow someone's mind that if you're the head of the football team and you're a macho kind of like you, you got, you, you get, you exude confidence and like, you're the man to just say what's up to somebody or to say hello or to help someone with their locker, bro. What? But you can use that power for that. I think it's having those sorts of conversations with students and letting them realize that, yes, you are powerful. Yes, your words mean something. Yes, what you're saying is not okay. Um, but the, the real conversation comes after that. And look, sometimes it is just reminding kids. Sometimes it's just holding a mirror up to what they're doing, not making them feel bad or guilty or wrong about it all the time. Because I think that oftentimes kids are just kids and they do dumb stuff. Like kids do dumb stuff in my room all the time. They write on the walls. They do, they draw on their desks. They say things. They act a certain way towards me. And it's like, can we just pause, put a pause on things for a second? Like, because what you're doing is out of pocket right now. We need to address it. Um, and nine times out of 10, kids go like this. Yo, my bad, Rollins. My bad. I apologize. And then you move on with life. Even our own kids, I feel like a lot of times you have to bring it to their attention and just say, do you even realize you were doing this? And they're like, oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are kind of just idiots. That like, conversation. Say, it sounds mean, but it, it just, I say that like loosely meaning like their brains are just yet not fully developed. and They are. They're kind of just half-baked. I wouldn't say kids are idiots. They, we'll say half-baked. They make in idiotic decisions <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah, but then, like, when better, you look yeah. back, like, if you look back on a home video of yourself, it's like, oh, my gosh. That's so embarrassing. Yeah, like, what did I act like that for? What was I doing? <laughs> like, why didn't anyone tell me? 
That that shirt was a poor choice. Okay. Anyway. Next question. Ahead. John Lopez, our buddy, is asking, how um how was it for you this this week in class? Um, John, I'll say this. There's so much newness at my so first of all, what's up, buddy? Um second, seeing John Lopez's name makes me think I've been in the P.O. box in a no, minute. No, I know. Um so because I've been busy. Lopez, this week has been so much new stuff that I'm at a point this next week where like I need to cut down on my on my contact with other people on some level um, and just focus on kids and on me that I realize that, you know, with new with new leadership comes a lot of new ideas, comes a lot of new obligations, a lot of new procedures and routines and all of these things for teachers and for students. And there's just no way you can do it all. And so my my answer to that is I just don't do it all. I just don't I just don't do it. And that's not like me. It's not from a from a place of slighting someone or or like, you know, like, ha ha ha, I'm not going to do that. It's focusing on what's important and what's necessary. I will say that, bro, seeing kids again, especially kids I taught before and having them walk into the building, into your room um, and light up that they're like we're together again is like is so exciting like when kids just like like i'm trying to leave the other day and it's just like the old times are back like it's everybody's in your classroom at the end of the day that's been really exciting i'll say one of the things that's been the biggest bummer is uh students have to sit in they can't eat lunch in my room as of right now they have to sit in our dining hall they have assigned seats down there and so at lunch all these dudes just showed up to my room and they were like yo reynolds can we eat in here and i'm like like having to turn kids away and not even have that time with them is really difficult, but that's where we're at for right now. Um, and who knows, man, looking at how everybody else's schools are rolling. Like, I don't know if we go back to virtual sooner rather than later. So. Mm -hmm. Because you already have case one. Yeah. We only need, well, I don't know if that's supposed to be public knowledge, but uh, <laughs> in our school, the way we're running it is that if six students, if six people in the school, test positive for COVID within a two week period, we're shut down for two weeks. All so. right, our next question comes from Megan. Uh, it's, I think it's a multi-parter, so bear cool. with me. Got it. She says, I have two questions and I'm sure you've answered them before. One, Sorry. how do you deal with teachers who have different teaching styles to you? I'm a part of an amazing group of educators, but they all have different styles than me. Um, you can answer that one if you want. Okay. I'll, I have you next i think that different teaching styles should be celebrated and not looked down upon i think that comparison is often the thief to joy it's not it's a, that's like a meme or something i didn't come up with that line but it's really true um that we have to recognize one of the things we say here in in this community is that your ordinary is somebody else's extraordinary that we should really be focusing on the things that we bring to the table that are great um and if i went 80s on this uh, I would say the the A team, uh, John Lopez and Pete, you're probably the only two people that know this, but like the A team, maybe Maisha, um, the A team was a show in the 80s that had like these four different guys and they all had different gifts that they brought to the group. And so like one guy was really good at like uh, making something from nothing. Like you could give him like some duct tape, a razor and like a, I don't know, a slinky and he's going to make a weapon out of it. Another guy was like, had uh was like just could razzle dazzle any room and he was like super handsome and he could talk his way into any situation another guy was like the master of disguise another guy was like a little bit crazy 
and he had uh, he was a really great pilot. But it was all these gifts together that helped him to be the A team. Um, or if you even look at like modern, you know, uh, pop culture, if you look at the Avengers, right? The Avengers, if it was all Captain America's, I don't know that they're winning. If they were all Thor's, I don't know that they were winning. They needed all these different people to be able to one, fill one another's gaps and two, um, to use their unique gifts and styles to be able to, to do, you know, to, to make magic in the classroom. Now, the problem comes when we try to over homogenize classes when we look when we have things like scripted lesson plans and scripted curriculum and we try to fit teachers into a box and say this is the best way to teach i think that's wrong um it is it is honing in on what you're good at so like for me it is relationship building is like one of my strong suits it is connecting what students are learning to something that's relevant or something that they actually care about um and it's sense of humor but if you don't have a sense of humor, you shouldn't be trying to use your sense of humor in the classroom. That's a terrible idea because then you're just going to sound horrible. Um, and in the opposite way, if you are a very like if you are really funny and, and you try to hold that in, if you are good at connecting things to what students are good at, like that's I, I just think like if you're not utilizing those gifts, um, I think it's like this. I think teachers often have gifts. I think we as human beings often have gifts that we don't unwrap. You have God-given talents, gifts, and skills that if they are just given to you as a gift that you are to share with the world and you don't do that, then all you're doing is you have a package there that's all wrapped with a bow and looks pretty and has your name on it and you're just leaving it there unwrapped. So I think it's it's sometimes just that slight shift of like, and and getting people excited about that, getting people excited about the idea that we're not all the same. Of course, we're not all the same. Of course, we have different teaching styles. We have different ways that we do stuff. We have different rules. We have different um, ways that we get down with kids. And that's so awesome. I just love it. And so it's getting people excited about celebrating those differences instead of looking at them and being like, I wish I was more like this or should I be more like this and, and getting rid of that crap. I always find that really interesting that they want to do that to teachers because all the students are so different. Like they need different things from different educators. If all students had the same educators, like they just. Yeah. But if we go back to like. uniqueness that each teacher brings like to the table. Facts. But the, but the origin of public schooling was to create oh, yeah. cogs that would work in factories. And so how do we do that consistently and on a regular thing? Like people that work at McDonald's are not asked to be innovators, right? They're managers. They're not leaders. And so oftentimes we teach teachers to be managers, classroom management, yeah. instead of classroom leadership. And when we do that, we are, we are, it's a disservice to our students because we don't live in that world anymore, right? right? There are those jobs. Like if you work at Amazon, they're not asking you to use your pizzazz to pick out like groceries and, and stuff. Like that is a job that like is very clear what you need to do. If you work at McDonald's, if even Chick-fil-A, my, my beloved Chick-fil-A, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of personality that's being used there. Now, sometimes there is like like sometimes you will go to a certain line because someone just looks so nice and authentic and they're wonderful. And I know the people at the grocery store that ask to do that. But I know you're hiring me uh, and I need to finish this point. But um, but it is in the world of education, what we're trying to do, if we're trying to raise thought leaders and entrepreneurs and creative thinkers, we can't homogenize it. We need to help kids to, to focus on what they bring to the table also and how they learn and all those sorts of things. Yeah. All right. Part two of the question is, how do you deal with saying goodbye to your kids and moving on after that? 
it is my first year teaching and these kids have a massive place in my heart. I'm scared teaching won't be the same after. Hello from South Africa. First of all, South Africa is on my teacher bucket list to go to South Africa. Um, they, I think you don't say goodbye. Um, I keep up with kids I student taught with years ago, right? They're like in their third, they're like grown grown ups now, like in their thirties. Yeah. Like we go out for drinks. I still, you know, Romina who wrote the foreword to my book, um, was a student of mine in my second year of teaching. Uh, Romina comes over regularly. She babysat my kids last week. We did something. I don't know where the hell we went. Oh, we went down. We went out for dinner. Yeah. And Romina like came over watching my kids. She's my kid's favorite babysitter. Constantly keeping up with kids. It's reminding kids, this is where I am. I'm in this room forever at this school or at this address or, you know, like, uh, I don't know if I give out my address to everybody, but like, um, this is my, you know, where I am online. I am, if you need me for anything forever and always hit me up. Relationships are forever, man. And I think that when we when we think that way, it also helps us to get over the fact that, like, you didn't reach a kid this year. Uh, that happens all the time. I had a kid that came back the other week to visit me out of nowhere. Um, he just happened to be in the city, popped in my classroom, and he now lives in Texas or Arizona. I don't know, somewhere arid. And uh, he came back just to say what's up. And, like, he was a pain in the ass. When I taught him, I was like, I am not talking about, like, bro. You and your mom drove me crazy because it was like, you know, in retrospect, I see why. Um, and he really turned out. So it was like they were right. Uh, but they drove me crazy. But now that relationship's still there. My man still knows you can come to room 106 and Reynolds is going to be there all the time forever. And, um, it, you know, maybe maybe not that. But like, like I'm always available. And that's what I want to get across to kids. And then saying goodbye is like it's more like see you later. All right, next question comes from Little Space Freckles. It's a four-parter. I have a student who's unengaged in class. He doesn't do any readings. And when I ask him a question, he shrugs and goes, I don't know. And it's not a genuine, I don't know. It's more of a, I'm not going to try. Sometimes when I ask a question, he ignores me, but banters with other kids. I know the solution here is to build a relationship with the student but the usual invite the student to my room for lunch isn't an option. Our HR has a strict policy on not eating in our rooms to prevent mice. Do you have any other ideas? <laughs> oh, I love that that's the reason, right? It's like, <laughs> listen, we have a rodent problem and uh, we can't. That's help. <laughs> and even that that is a pro like that. It's like, bro, solve that problem. Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help kids. It's so funny. That it's like we let mice and food overrule like the benefits and what we should be yeah. doing to like support yeah. our students. But that's another whole another conversation. Uh, relationships are part of it. Um, I think that that's part of what's happening here is that like when you have a relationship and you understand where that kid's coming from. Right. So I, I think I think innately everyone wants to do well in school. They all want to do a good job. My voice just cracked like because I think because I'm a teenager again. Uh, you're never out of ninth grade all the way. That's why, I don't know, never mind. That's a whole nother, no, I'm being ADD. Um, I think that it is looking for, it's I, sometimes when I'm going into school and, and there's an issue like that, what I'm looking for 
is moments of connection. Can I be somewhere early? Can I be at lunch in the dining hall with the kids? Can I see you leaving the school and, and calling you over at the end of the day? Like it's looking for moments of opportunity. I think the other thing I would do is reach out to other teachers and see how that child is getting along in their class. Um, and what I'm not looking is for partners to complain with. And I, and I know that you're not that kind of teacher, but I, I point that out because sometimes you go to someone and you go, hey, do you have this kid in class? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I mean, just the worst. And it's like we don't ever get to like a point where we're looking for what we can do. It's just like we're just going to complain about it. And I'm not interested. And then I go look for other partners instead. But it's finding partners that you're going to get to rally around the student or to have some consistency in class, like, all right, so how, how do we want to handle this when this particular student is not um, engaging? Like what, like maybe we put the same sort of pieces in place to help that student. I think it's also contacting home. Uh, I think it's finding out like, you know, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but it is um, asking things like, like what was this child's favorite class? What was their worst class and why? And so finding out like what kind of thing works best for that kid. Um, asking, like just sharing with, with a parent, like, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, I really want your child to be successful, but I'm not sure, like if you can talk to them, I wasn't sure if there was like um, something else going on that you all might be able to have a conversation and, and to help them to show up to be successful because right now they're not. And then after doing all of this, Right. So in building those relationships, you're also finding out things that they like and trying to incorporate those things in the class, um, letting the student know, like, don't just expect that they see what you're doing, that you're trying, letting them know that your their success is of your utmost concern. And then I'm going to try all these things in class so that they see you trying. And again, like I said, sometimes you can't make learning that attractive, like it's just like or attractive enough. Um, but a kid seeing your intention sometimes can really help. The other piece to that is they only get the same amount of time, attention, and effort that everybody else does. That I cannot stop class. I cannot stop the learning. I cannot stop what we're doing um, just because you don't want to or you're going to fall asleep or you are going to be disrespectful. Like, Kids need to know. So what we have, and if you go back, there's a really great segment uh, on, a fir, on a past, like we used to do these things called Teacher Talk Live or something like that, uh, where I had one of my heroes come on and Rafe Esquith described it as there's three types of students. It's also in my book as well. Um, there are three types of students. One are the kids that everybody wants to teach because they're awesome and they love learning. Uh, student three, so that's student one. Student three are the kids that are the really big problems and they're like sort of a black hole of attention and, and, and it's just never enough. And student two flies under the radar. What happens when we give too much attention to the kids we love to teach and the kids that, that are like a cry for help all the time is that we miss student two. And then there's this whole like slew of students that fly under the radar that don't get our time, attention and energy because we are too busy dealing with the other two types of students. And so we need to make sure that we're giving everyone equal time so that we are meeting all of their needs. So it's like, you can do all that stuff for that kid, but at the end of the day, if you really, really don't want to do it and I've done all the things, that becomes like a, we have to talk to admin. We have to bring more people into this conversation. We have to talk about things more in depth because I just don't have time in class to like, I can't sit here and like um, endlessly pour into your needs because other students need love too.
What you got, dude? Next question comes from... You're texting with Miss Green over there? Uh, yeah. I knew it. <laughs> uh, my next question comes from Heather. She's asking, hello, everyone. First year teacher here. What do you write in your induction introduction letter to parents? I'm struggling a little. My form classes are British year 10, age 14 to 15. First of all, Heather, we have to really talk to your me coming to England and uh, <laughs> speaking. That would just be the best. Um, I love England so much. We've been watching The Crown also. Um, and I don't know how people from England view the show, but like it's. I'd be interested to hear. I've it, learned like, so much about like the history of, of British culture. That's mind boggling. Mm -hmm. and, and also it holds a mirror up to how much I don't know. Um, but it just makes me miss going to England. So anyway, no, I think the thing. The thing you want to communicate, and we cannot just expect that parents or kids know this, which is why we have to say it all the time, is one, I'm really excited to be your teacher. I love teaching so much, and I'll do anything I can to help your child succeed. And I and look, let me say this. You can do anything, but you can't do everything it takes to help a child succeed all the time, right? Like sometimes this, that's why teaching is a communal activity. That's why we're not the only ones. That's why we need to work with families and we need to work with our staff and we need to like work with the community to help us to help kids be the best that they can be, right? So it doesn't mean you have to do everything. It doesn't mean that you should be dead because you just tried everything. And look, they literally, that teacher literally just died. They just turned into ash because they did everything they could. But communicating that to parents is so important. Um, I think getting parents excited about like, let me tell you what that looks like in my class. These are some of the things we're going to be doing this year. We do projects and trips and try and make the class engaging and, and all of this stuff, right? You're trying to get parents excited and to get them not to just know like, like hi, this is Miss Andrews. Like, I'm just, I'm, I realize that you're not going to write a letter like this, but since that's who's asking the question. Hi, I'm Miss Andrews, and I'm really excited to be your kid's teacher this year. We're going to have a wonderful year this year. Please don't, uh, please feel free to reach out at any time, and I will answer any questions that you have. Um, and then, and definitely don't tell like all the rules or like what you're not going to take or like that I don't do late work or that like there's a lot of homework this year. We need to help our students understand that they need to stay on top of their homework this year. It's like, that stuff is like, what you want to do is just go left of what probably everybody else is putting in their letter. It is building excitement, engaging, engagement. It's letting parents know undoubtedly that you are thrilled to be able to do this this year. I think that's where I would start. And then giving them your schedule. So I let parents know, one, I don't give up my number. I, unless I have um, a student that has very specific learning needs, or there's a very specific reason why I need to have a parent, a parent to have my phone number. Uh, I don't give it out. And then I let parents know what my hours are. Look, I'd be happy to help you any day between Monday and Friday between these hours. And I'm not like, I don't even tell them I'm not available on the weekend. I just leave it out of the schedule. It's just not a part of the conversation because I'm not available on the weekends. Um, and I'm not available after a certain time, right? I'm available from seven to five every day. Five o'clock hits, it's game on family time. That's what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything else. So I think that that's, that's part of what I would communicate with, with families uh, when you're going back this year. Um, yeah, I'm sure other people have answers too, and it would be great if they could speak to that. So, yo, if anybody else has uh, 
answers for Heather Andrews on what you should include in your parent introduction letter. That would be awesome. That's also how I run back to school night too. So it's, it's only excitement. All right, our next question comes from Ben. Question, your videos are seriously so inspiring as a first year teacher. I was wondering if you have advice for fights in the classroom. How do you reaffirm the classroom is safe after that? Uh, Sixth grade title one. Yeah, like, look, fights happen. Um, I and, and I think the way that we deal with it is, look, there's silly ways I deal with it. And so maybe go with the spirit of what I'm saying and not just do exactly what I'm saying. Like sometimes it's important to understand, like go with the why instead of the what that I'm saying, because this isn't going to work for everyone. But on my laptop, uh, actually I just got a new laptop, which is, this is a reminder that I have to set this up on my new laptop. I got a new laptop first time in 10 years. Um, a school laptop. Let's yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I have an icon on my on my desktop that is the theme song, the Love Jam from Karate Kid Part Two, right? It is uh, Peter Cetera's um, ultimate work of, of mastery, in my opinion. And so uh, that song, as soon as dudes start arguing, I just put it on, and because no one really wants to fight when there's a Love Jam going on, I think that what we're what I'm trying to do there is not make fun of kids or make it like weird. Um, but, but I am trying to make it weird, but I think sometimes it's like, how do you shift the energy to, 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 to address the situation? So like once an escalate, once, um, an argument starts building, it is, uh, it starts to get to a place where like kids are like, I think every, I think everyone, most kids want an out. They don't want to fight. Right. They don't, like, especially boys. That's why there's so much posturing before it happens. Girls on the other hand, will like get a pass to the bathroom. They go in, they lock the door, take off all their jewelry, they fight, then they put their jewelry back on, then they come back to class and you're, it's like, why is your nose bleeding right now? And that was weird. So th that's different. But what I'm trying to do is what can I do to shift the energy to make it like give an out, give an opportunity for a laugh, give an opportunity for me to be able to speak to something. The other thing that I do, and look, this is again, this is something I don't recommend. It works for me, but I'm just saying it's the, it's the why I'm doing it, not the what. Um, I will tell kids, oh my gosh, are you guys going to fight? Hold on one second. Let me get my phone. Um, we got to get this on YouTube because it's going to get me views. Or uh, everybody on TikTok loves a good fight video or something like that. That what it do, And in my case, what that does is it provides an opportunity for a bit of levity, for a bit of like, let's look at how absurd this is. Or like, yo, I don't want to end up online or like, don't don't record this. Or there's, there's something there. Um and then, so that that's just some of what I do to sort of like not have fights. But look, I, fights happen in my room sometimes. And how do you create the safe space thing is the room being a safe space doesn't mean that there's not going to be fights, doesn't mean there's not going to be arguments, doesn't mean there's not going to be hard feelings. It's what are we doing with that afterwards, right? So there's two things to speak to here is when you come back, how do we enter back into the room and help it to be a safe space? How do we reassure to kids that this is a safe space? Um, but safe space also means you can speak your mind. It also means you can share what you have going on. Um, and, and sometimes that might piss someone off and that might lead to something, but it is also like, so that's not like, it is helping kids to come back into the room, um, and knowing that we're going to do something with that. But, but gosh, this is such a big question. The other piece I'm thinking about is why do we fight? Why did we get into a fight to begin with? And what do we do to not have that happen going forward? We get into fights because we don't know what to do with the mad that we feel. 
Uh, like Mr. Rogers, the song, right? What do we do with the man that we feel? When we feel so mad, we can bite. And in that song, Mr. Rogers is talking about, um, so There we go. We're good. Okay, I think we're back on. Uh, I'm going to keep talking like I am back on. Um, sorry, my internet crapped out for a second. It's still off on there. Oh, it's unrefreshing. It kicked me out of StreamYard. Cool. I'm going to keep talking like I'm like I'm on here. Okay. Cool. All right. So, what what do we do with the mad? Um, and it's helping, like the only reason kids fight is because they don't know what to do with that man. The only reason kids throw a temper tantrum is because they don't know what to do with the anger. The only reason that kids do, um, like throw something at someone else is because they don't have an alternative or the, or the self-control or the know-how to know what to do with their feelings. So it's helping kids to walk through scenarios of what can I do the next time I start feeling like that? Can I breathe differently? Can I step out of the room for a moment? Can I go get a drink? Can I move my seat? Can I give you a signal that you, the teacher, is going to know so that um, we, we can take next steps as to what to do when I'm feeling like this? It is instilling kids with the know-how so that they don't grow up being adults that are still getting in fights. They're, they're not growing up as adults that are going to shoot someone else, that are going to um, that are going to rage out. They're going to crash their car into someone. I saw a guy the other night was going out for drinks after school with some people. And some guy got his, he got a flat tire or something that happened with a driver in front of him. He gets so pissed. He just floors it and crashes in the bottom of the L train, um, in Philadelphia. And I'm just standing there like, what the hell? Like, like, and that's because when we don't know what to do with that internal rage, with those feelings, with those thoughts, with those emotions, with those ideas that we rage out and we do, crazy things. So it's helping to start equip children with that. And I think that's a big school conversation too. That's not something for just a teacher. So Ben, you should not be the only person doing this. This is a conversation we should be having with our community as to like, how are we caring for our children so that when we get to that point, what are we doing to, to maintain a safe space in our classrooms? Okay. Next up is John. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, go for okay. it. Really appreciate you, Reynolds. I see you starting a teacher coaching business in the near future. Oh, thanks. Thanks, man. Uh, by the way, did you ever get your mannequin? Question, what is the pace of your class? Is it fast-paced with a lot of transitions or more, more chill with a lot of focus on one specific thing? Oh, this is a great question. One, uh, for those of you that don't know, I ordered a mannequin. It, uh, his name's Fred. He's on back order. Um, I, here's, what I, here's what I'd like to think. I like to think that once I said that, a bunch of people went out and bought mannequins because they're only $65. I think it was $68 on Amazon for like a six foot one, like legit male mannequin. I wanted them to be a man because we're all boys school. And and to be honest, I was afraid. I, I didn't want to have it. That's when I thought about getting, I, I was going to try and get a mannequin. I was going to call it Cho. So it would take the place of Cho. Um, but they only have, I, white? they don't, yeah, they don't, most of the mannequins are white um, and they don't have Asian mannequins. So, so that's a whole nother 
That's Did you really Google name. Asian mannequin? I looked it up on Amazon. Yeah. I was going to get one. I was going to call it Cho. I was going to dress it like Cho, and then Cho would get so mad. Oh, she would have loved oh, that. Oh, my gosh. She would have been freaking hilarious. So anyway, Cho, for those, if you also don't know, Cho was, uh, was my longtime best friend at school. She's now at Harvard University getting her doctorate in educational leadership. Um, so she left me. Anyway, um, my class is Pace. Jocko Willink once said something, and I think this is a thing in the SEALs, in the SEAL teams here in America, that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. That is, that is what I go with in class. So when you come in the class, there's no downtime. We're not talking about anything. We're not doing anything else. It is immediately, you shake my hand, the do now's on the board, and we are, as soon as the bell rings, right? Time's yours until the bell rings. I don't care if you're talking to your homies. I don't care if you're on your phone. I don't care what you're doing. Bell rings, it's game on, right? It's like the buzzer went off, right? Tip off has happened and the game's happening. Once that happens, I have, there is very specific time amounts for each activity. Now I control time in my class. So if I feel something needs a little bit more time, a little bit less time, I can navigate that. And I don't have public timers. I tried that, it builds kids, it builds anxiety in the classroom. I don't like it for the learners that I have in my particular classes. But it is, uh, so I teach um, co-talk classroom, a lot of kids with IEPs, a lot of kids with 504 plans, things like that. For those kids, though, I find that one way to get engagement and one way to make things not feel like they just suck is by giving an out. So here's the thing we're doing. It, you have five minutes to complete this task, right? So now you have a very definite outcome. So you don't have to feel like this is going to last forever. And also, you know, you shouldn't be screwing around because we only have five minutes to get this done. Then that jumps into the next 10 minute activity, the next 15 to 20 minute activity and the last five minute activity. So things are actually moving at a really quick clip in my classroom. Um, but underneath of that, I am not like, all right, come on, let's go, guys. We only have five minutes to do this. Come on. We only have 10 minutes to do this. Come on, you're screwing around. We only have this much time. I don't want to build that anxiety. So when my kids come in the class, also, there's always chill music on. It smells right. My lights are a right vibe. Um, my decor is in such a way that I want it to feel chill and relaxing. But in reality, things happen very quickly. And oftentimes, kids constantly say, yo, we're done already because they saw the out, because they knew exactly what was expected of them. And they knew how much time that they had. So it wasn't like 45 minutes. Oh, my God. Like, this is so long. 50-minute class. Like, hour and nine, like 90 minute block scheduling. Oh my God. It's broken down into quick little moments. And when you do that, I find that you can execute things smoother and that they actually go faster. So you're getting more done in a given period than most other teachers are doing. Uh, great. Oh, now you're, now you're multitasking with Laura Green no, over there again. No, that blip like erased my whole comment section. Oh, my bad. So, um, you know, scrambling. So we're going to go like this with cool, whatever we have to do. I, yeah. I hate when that. So there was a blip in the internet. Um, and my wife had all the questions lined up and then that went away when the blip happened uh, the blip. What is this? Uh, freaking oh. Avengers, <laughs> the blip. Um, so if you if, I try and so, go in order, so yeah, so I apologize okay. if it's not happening. Stephanie race was next. Um, she's asking any tips for recording my first observation. I attend WGU and it will be uploaded afterwards. I have it on the 21st. I am concerned about being heard and interaction seen. Um, sorry, I can't put that up on the screen. So I think one, 
when let's talk about this. Let's talk about a couple steps, right? One, in preparing, it's preparing as much as you can and being as ready as possible, but knowing that even in teaching, this is not a script. This is not a play. I'm not like just uh, rehearsing. I'm going to say this exact thing and then students are going to actually answer in a set amount of time and there's no awkward silences. It's like all kind. It's like it's like football, right? The play is ready. Like we, we have it planned out. We've practiced it. But we've also practiced it on the field. We've also practiced it wearing the gear that we're going to wear. Um, we've also practiced it with the other people that we'll be engaging with. So if you have a co-teacher in the future or something like that, it is planning as much as you can, preparing as much as you can, going to the space and running through the lesson um, with the technology and acting like kids are in the room, like doing all that. When I give a talk, I literally run through that talk a ton of times before I go and give that talk. And I act like I, I have pauses for laughs on jokes that I think that I'm going to get. Not, I don't always get them, but pause for it anyway. I act it out. Um, I'm holding the clicker. I have the PowerPoint in front of me. Like I'm doing it. And if I could practice in the room, on the stage, in the auditorium where I do it, I would do that also. Uh, the other thing is knowing though that in a football game, you are, so whether that's, I know there's not everyone here is from America. So that could be American football or what the rest of the world calls football uh, is knowing that when the play, when the, when you, when, when you, the whistle blows, when it's go time, um, you don't know how other people are going to interact. So you're constantly moving. So the play in your mind is very straightforward, but on the field, it can change. So with that being said, when you're, if you do an observation and if students are a part of it, you don't know how kids are going to engage. You don't know how they're going to interact. You don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so you have to be willing to pivot. I think the other thing that most people do wrong when getting observed is they go into it like they're proving themselves. Like I need to show mastery over my content and over my ability to teach young people. And that's not true. What I go into is on the offense, right? That puts you on defense. You're immediately on defense. Someone else is going to judge you and you're on defense. What I do in going into observations is saying, I give questions on the front end. Oh, hey, you're coming in on Thursday. Hey, here's two to three to four things that I'm going to try. And I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. I'd love to have your feedback on these. Um, it is going to someone. And when they give you feedback saying like, because some folks will even try and dial in an observation. This is like when you start teaching you're in the classroom, they'll try and dial it in uh, and just, or mail it in and give you some like boring ass observation feedback. And it's like, this isn't even useful to me. I ask follow-up questions. Oh, really? Like you, so you thought I should have done that. And this is not in a condescending or sarcastic tone at all. Um, you didn't think that student um, voice was a part of what I was doing. I'm curious in doing the lesson that I was doing, how would you see student voice being more a part of it? Like, what could I have done that I could practice for next time to do this? Then the next time you get observed, you're like, all right, listen, here was my feedback. I know you observe a lot of people. Here was my feedback that you gave me that last time. Here's how I'm going to try and implement that this time. I'd really be curious as to whether or not you think I hit the mark or if there's something better I could do. So now this is a collaborative effort. Now this isn't just you being on defense. You're actually on offense. And that's going to put people off because I don't think anyone does this. So that when someone comes in the next time, it's like, all right, like I went home, I practiced, and now I'm coming back to my next piano lesson. And like, I want to see what you say. I'm looking for the feedback. I'm on the hunt for, for a good observation to help me become a stronger and better teacher in general. So that's, that's how I would look at that.
What you got, Neuter? All right, our next question um, comes from Alex. Any advice for building relationships with students as a guidance counselor? It is difficult without the face-to-face -face time. I try yeah. utilizing hallway time, lunch duty, et cetera, but I have 300 students. Yeah, so Alex, that that's gonna be, I, I hear what you're saying. What you said right there was the, the exact answer I would have given from the jump. I think that, um, and then I'm gonna add another thing in there. I think that most of the time relationships are 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 created in in between times. They're not. It's not just class time. It's the, so even when I'm teaching a lesson, I'm not building a relationship with anybody. It's when you have a problem on your work, and I can come in and just squat down next to you and help you. I think that it is in like we as people gravitate towards that which we are the most familiar with. Right. So that could be anything that could be food. That could be the way that you work out. That could be the, your, the way that you take to school every day. You do the same thing that you're most familiar with. That's what you typically stick with. Um, if you're my wife, you go that way all the time, even at fault. And even if it's a longer way, because she never will go a different way. It's always the same way. I wasn't listening. Dang it. It's, I was, I'm talking about how you drive the same way to somewhere all the time, no matter like, because you're like, this is how I, oh, yeah, I told I how to do it. I don't, I'm not figuring out another way. Anyway. Um, so just being in the hallway, just being in the lunchroom, just being around makes you someone that the kids are far more familiar with because you're a visual, like you're constantly around. They see you all the time. And I, so that is one thing. Then there's a, a line from an old song that calls nothing. It says nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd, right? Uh, shout out to Soul Asylum 1991. Um, but that's true. So if you are interacting with kids because you're visual and you're always in the hallway anyway, and you're talking to kids, that makes other kids come over. So when people ask, like, why do you, they, this is why I get asked a lot. Why do you always, you always have a crowd of kids around you. Your room's always filled with students because nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. So people always wonder, what are they doing over there? What's going on? What's happening? So then that naturally happens. I think the other piece is, you know, and I'm not speaking to anyone in particular and certainly not to you, but, you know, and a lot of times when folks have roles like, a guidance counselor, like a social worker, like a school therapist, something like that. There's a very specific way that educators often talk to, to young people. And I call it, what do we call it? Teachery. Being teachery. So you have this, it's like, hi, how are you today? How was your weekend? Oh, that's great. That's great. Did you get your homework done? Um, how was your football game? It's like, instead breaking it down, like you're just talking to another human being. Just having that ease of conversation that you're communicating with people and that puts you in a place where kids want to be around you because they know that you're willing to sometimes enter into their world of Fortnite, Call of Duty, football, um, of movies, of TV shows when you're willing to like, and I'm not even saying going and watching and engaging with all that stuff necessarily like you can and that gets you further, but like just listening to kids. I do, I know he's not listening to me right now. I do this with my son all the time. He will call me at school just to tell me about the Fortnite update. Do I need to know about this right now? No. Do I need to know about your favorite, like what Mr. Beast did and how he made the most gigantic bowl of cereal the other day ever? No, but <laughs> I listen to him. I care because you care. And when kids know that you care, they'll care what you know. And that's when you start building those, those sorts of relationships. And will you be able to do that with all 300 kids? Maybe not. Um, but that's fine. Not all those kids need you. Not all those kids need me. Not all those kids need 
the, the social emotional stuff that they get at school. Some kids just need to show up for education because they have all that love and affection and cares coming to them from other sources. So you don't have to be the be all end all. You're just, you're, you're an option. That's what you're doing. Okay. Our last question. And it's a serious one comes from John Fox. Uh, He's asking, not sure if you feel comfortable talking about it here. So no worries if not, but could you talk a little bit about your faith and spiritual journey? I want to have faith in something, but struggle too. Okay. So I'm not uh, opposed to talking about that. I'm not opposed for, so for example, I'm not opposed to talking about anything like, that's why we're here, because um, it is a safe space on the Internet in front of the world to talk about these things. Uh, so with regards to my my journey, and I, I think this is good for people that like even if you're not like religious or something like that, like there's there's a you that exists in the world that might you might not know how to integrate that you into your classroom. So that might be your belief system, your lack of belief system, your politics, your sexuality, like your, um, who you are as a person. Um, and I think that there, that, that, you know, not all those things should always be talked about in class. I'm not saying like, come in and like, and, and like deliver your, your thoughts and feelings on like the last Joe Biden speech or, or what should be done in Afghanistan or, or something like that. Uh, what I'm saying is that, that person is showing up whether you want it to or not, whether you believe in it or not, that that person that feels that type of way or looks at certain situations or scenarios or is accepting of certain people and not accepting of other people, that person shows up whether you want them to or not. So for me, um, I became uh, a Christian when, and, and when I say that, like, like I, in 2000, uh, 1998, 1998, found a church I was a part of for 20 years um, in 2000, and then 1999, 2000, something like that. And what that meant to me was that I followed Jesus with reckless abandon. Right? This is this is my jam. This is what my people do that that I'm that I'm in community with. Um, I then moved to like, and so that looks like uh, like everything I do in my life is. Um, there's not a spiritual aspect to my life. It is like the thing. So I think of like, uh, like my, my, what, how, who I am spiritually is like a, is like not another dish on top of a platter that like a waitress would bring out or a waiter would bring out to a table it is in fact, this is my life. And then schools on top of this. So this is my spiritual journey and then school and then my family and my friends and my hobbies and everything else is interacting that. And it literally guides every single moment of my life. It is the reason that, um, I do everything I do. It's the reason I literally live where I live. Like I moved to my neighborhood as part of an intentional community. Uh, more than 50 of us moved to this at the, at the height, 50 people lived in the same kind of tough neighborhood, uh, to be good neighbors. That was our goal. Um, and then the reason I work where I work, the reason I do a lot of, I mean, a lot of the things. So what that has allowed me to do is to really be myself is to have faith in something else that I can trust in. And I know is guiding me and that, so when I show up to school, um, that's the person that's showing up, right? Like full fledged wholeheartedly. That's what I believe. So, and look as, as, as maddening as school can be, as uncertain as the world of education can be, I know that I don't have to figure it all out. Like that, I'm I am playing a part. I'm showing up and being a willing participant, and and uh, it helps me to make take risks. Sometimes it helps me to 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 do crazy shit that I do. Um, 
but that's part of the role that that plays. It also is a part of my self-care. I, I, I do not go. So like I wake up early every day so that I can pray and meditate and read, right? The end like that, but that creates a person that overflow of love of, 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 of care that I feel for me that comes from somewhere else. All of that stuff um, helps me to show up and love my family. It helps me show up and love my students. It helps me to take risks. It helps me to know that like, I, like my, my back has gotten no matter what, that's part of that too. Um, and there's, there's a million ways that kind of plays out in, in my life, but that has been my experience. And it is like the singular thing that has made everything possible in my life, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think I could talk about that and I'm, I'm not opposed to talking about it more, but that's just where it is. But uh, let me just say this real quick. Why don't I talk about that on my channel more? Um, I take really a note out of Mr. Rogers book, right? Mr. Rogers, like one of my ultimate heroes of all time. Um, Mr. Rogers got into education to be a blessing to others. He didn't grow. He, he didn't. He, but you never heard him talk about God. You never heard him talk, heard him talk about Jesus. Um, but he, what he was doing was trying to be an expression of care. And sometimes when we do bring certain words, especially in the world that we are currently living in, um, saying something like Jesus is immediately going to set some people off and make some people shut down. And I'm not against that. I'm not against, I'm not afraid to be who I am. But what I want to do is I think that love, I think that um, in, infusing people with a sense of hope, with a sense of connection, with a sense of community, with a sense of they're worthy, um, I think that doesn't turn people away. And I think that bring, actually brings people in. And so I am using all that I've been given to share on this platform, those particular things with people. And that's why we are trying to create a pathways and pipelines for teachers to be the teachers they are called to be. Um, it is so, so important to us. So with that, we are, uh, we're done for the week. My son is waiting for me. The Eagles have been on for the last hour and a half on their first game of the season. Uh, so we're going to go watch that and eat some unhealthy food and uh, let the rest of this day be restorative so that I can show up tomorrow and be the best teacher that I can be. Um, we'll be back here next Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's it, gang. I hope that you have a great week. Peace.